Church, good morning. My name's Tim. Hey, if this is your first time here, I'm glad that you're here. It is January 7th, first Sunday of the new year. Welcome. We've got, we've got, we got 52 of these things, right? 52 opportunities to gather with each other on a Sunday morning, sing, hear about Jesus, pray to Jesus, glorify Jesus, like gathering together is good and it's good for you. And so, well done. Keep going. Let's keep going together in 24. If you got a Bible with you, open up to the book of Joel. Hey, there we go. Joel chapter one, we're gonna be looking at um, verses one through three today. Joel chapter one, Verses one through three. When you got it, say you got it. Man. Mm. New Year's resolutions, who still does them? Mm. The few, the proud. Not right now, but I do want to hear like, why do people still do them? You know, I'd love to hear that. I think part of it is because there, there's this lie. New year, new you. It, that, that's not true, is it? It's not true. We want to think it is. Here's some resolutions from, um, uh, for, from, for this current year from um, Missourians, Missourians, Missourians. I'm about to start a fight here, okay. <laughs> Top one, save money and budget better. That's a strong move, 46% of people that were polled um, thought I need to use my money better. And it goes all the way down, the typical stuff, right? Like lose weight and get fit, eat healthier and improve diet. That could probably be the same thing though. Um, improve mental health, strengthen relationships, and learn a new skill or hobby advance in my own career or find a new job, reduce drinking consumption, which I presume is alcoholic drinking, not stopping water altogether. (laughs) That would be disastrous. Give up on that dream. There really isn't a whole lot that's, that's new under the sun though, frankly. And even if these people were to succeed in dropping a hundred pounds and putting a million dollars into their bank account, they might've had a new goal. It's still the same them. Um, but they, they got there by thinking about the end in, with the end in mind, didn't they? Joel is a prophetic and apocalyptic book. Prophetic in that he's talking about the future, apocalyptic in the sense that there's a lot of mysterious imagery that he uses and he's talking about final destination kind of stuff where people will end at the end of time. And, you know, New Year's resolutions, take them or, or leave them. Those that succeed at them are those that had a plan in place, but they started with the end in mind. 
Joel, I'd submit to you today, um, is, is about two distinct realities for humans. At the end of time, you and I will live in one of two states of being. And that is either ruin or redemption. How's that for the beginning of the year? I want to invite you to stand out of reverence for God's word. This is God's word to us this morning through the prophet Joel or Yoel. This is what the word of the Lord says to us today. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, verse two reads this. Hear this, you elders, and give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. This is God's word to us this morning. You can be seated. Tim, we didn't get to the heavy stuff yet. We did not. My objective today, I want you to see the themes through the book first. There are really only three. But from these three verses, there's a call to action from here. We need, to, we need to figure out how to deal with Joel seriously, okay? Some initial thoughts before we jump all the way in though. And that is, first of all, um, we are supernaturalists and we believe that God has spoken in the past through specific individuals that we would call prophets or apostles. These individuals, men, it seems, have heard from God and they have written down for a particular group of people in specific social settings um, a particular message that God wanted them to hear. God uses their personality and their skill set and education and even their own culture to communicate his message to these people. And God never does a thing unnecessarily. There is no waste in God's economy or kingdom. The, to say that a different way is to say God's word is absolutely necessary. They needed that audience that heard God's message needed to hear from God at that particular moment. This isn't just a collection of God's words though. This is God's word to us today too. And so it's just as needed for us today too. And it's errorless and it's always true. But our interpretation of it isn't always good. God's word is what's needed. God's truth is what's needed. God's word is never without error. 
But how we interpret it sometimes, we'd like to think that our interpretation is inspired. Friends, it ain't. And so we need to come at the text with some intellectual honesty and humility. Why do I bring that up? Because Joel is a difficult book. There are a lot of themes and a lot of things that take place, especially in chapter two. What day of the Lord, for example, is he talking about? Is there only one or does there seem to be many? Dating the book is kind of difficult. We can't exactly pinpoint when. Probably, most likely, it's before exile, before Judah is sent into captivity. That seems to be true. We can hang on to things, though, that we know with certainty, like the big themes, like knowing Joel was a real person and his dad's name was Pethuel and he had a message from God for a particular people in Judah, namely, who? The elders. This is the governing class in Israel and Judah at the time. This group of wise men would sit at the city gates and they would figure out what is best for the city that they lived in at that time. But it's not just for the ruling class, it's for all of the inhabitants. This was given for farmer and merchant, skilled tradesmen and laborer. It's even given to the, 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 the cattle It's even given to the bugs. It's even given the crops. Hear this, you elders, and give ear all the inhabitants of the land. There's a message that you need to hear. And what is it? Theme-wise, there are three big ones to hear. And one of them is disaster is a wake-up call. Disaster comes from God's own mouth Acts as a, it's it's a megaphone for you to hear God's message clearly. And it's pronounced throughout the entirety of the book. Again, Joel is dark and it's violent. And it talks about how it it seems like dark clouds start rolling in to the land of Judah and it begins to blot out the sun. And it's almost as if Judah is a kite in a windstorm with the string broken. And it's only a matter of time before it crashes and smashes into the ground. A plague of locusts were coming their way. They were gonna eat everything, including the grass, including the bark off trees. just destruction and terror and heartbreak. And what was it designed to do? Joel expects that there's gonna be a response from the people when they see this stuff happening. Joel 1.5, drunkards are to wail and they are to be sad. There's no way for them to self-medicate anymore. Joel 1.11, farmers are going to be in deep despair because the crops that they work so hard for are gonna be torn to shreds. Their livelihood is going to go in the tummies of little flying crickets and locusts. Joel 1, 13 and 14, priests and ministers, these agents of hope amongst God's people, pointing them back to God who is always faithful and abounds in steadfast love. They are to weep and wail. And they're to instruct the people to fast. 
later on in Joel, Joel 2, 15 and 16, there should be an alarm sounding in Zion because trouble is coming. And Zion isn't just Judah. It's meant to be seen as the capital city where God's own presence is. This is meant to be the safest place on the planet because even our God dwells here. He's saying nothing is safe. It's all designed to grab their attention and it's all designed to drive them to gut level honesty with their God. Being exposed completely and entirely. It's meant to push them to trust. It's meant to produce repentance. Jesus had his own experience with disaster. If you go to Luke 13, you hear the story about how this tower drops while some people are inside of it. And what happens? A group of people are asking questions to Jesus. What kind of wickedness did they do for this kind of calamity to happen to them? And Jesus is like, it's not a matter of their wickedness that this happened, but rather you should respond in repentance and faith too. The bad things that happen in the world today are meant to be a wake-up call for us. We know that this world is broken and sick and we try to find stability and, and, and security here. And it can all be taken away in a matter of moments of a mistake or a planned attack. When bad things happen to other people or bad things happen to us, our response is to run in trust to him and finding our security in life in him. When good things happen to other people too, it's still the same response. Every good and perfect thing comes from above. It comes from the father of lights. When God gives good things to other people, it doesn't come from anywhere else but his hand. And that can produce in us trust and security in what he does and who he is. This is a room filled with people that have their own life circumstances going on right now. You're sitting next to people that you probably have like great conversations with, but you don't know the turmoil that goes on in their soul. Maybe you do. But maybe you don't know the questions that they go through. Maybe you don't eke out those secret temptations that that you feel, the, those secret lies that you hear about God's character and God's thoughts about you. God, why would you let this thing happen to me? God, why would you let those things happen to those other people? God, you must hate me. God, you must not love me. God, you must not care for me. I'd submit to you today when you become aware of how bad and broken and bruised and battered this world is, it's not a matter of God hating you. 
It is a matter of God loving you and demonstrating grace to you to see how jacked up this world is. And how much this world needs him and how much you need him. So Joel tells the people to awaken. That moves us to the second thing. Even though there are dark clouds all over the place in the book of Joel in its deep darkness, you see light piercing through in beautiful ways. Namely, God being with his people and promising to be with his people, which is the greatest hope that any of us could have. When they're going through the stuff and they're in the trenches, God has not abandoned them. I can't, I can't preach this because Ian McDevitt's going to preach it next week. I love this quote from a friend of mine, Jeremy. He says that the storyline of the Bible is not about us and them. It is about us and him. And it's about God's master plan to redeem all of creation and humanity being a part of that. Joel is filled with the truth of God being with his people, especially in the latter parts of chapter two, there's gonna be a day when God's people will all be brought together at one place. And God will be with his people. He's with us now. We're temples of the Holy Spirit, that's true, but a completely different and new way, like the garden, but better. Like walking with him in the cool of the day, but all of us do it together with him. And this is scary for some of us in here. We can walk with some trepidation with this, like it, that's appropriate and right. Because again, it requires of us to not hide from him. If God's really with us, can we really think that we can hide anything from him? It requires us to be exposed, to be known, from the inside out. Temptation is to think that we would be rejected by him if we were vulnerable and weak and we confessed our need and sin. If we did that, would he reject us? God does not treat you the way that other people treat you. And God does not treat you the way that you treat other people. God reads your text messages. God does not leave you on red. Do you feel that? I have a, a text message right now from Deb Treat. When I, when I text group text people sometimes, or when I text uh, just uh, any old individual, I'm looking to see iPhone wise, if they got red receipts on. So help me if you do, and you leave me on red. <laughs> the shot clock is on, okay? I'm watching and waiting. How long is it gonna be before you respond? 
I ask a question, day goes by, no big deal, I get it, we get busy, you got kids. Two days though, really? Really? Three? I thought this was fairly important. And then cricket still, then I re-engage and it's like prompt because then shame happens, right? God is responding the entire time to his people in this passage. And namely, God is responding the entire time to his covenant that he made with them. On top of that, God is going above and beyond the entire time with the promise that he made to them. If they did well, they would live in the land. And if they did not do well, they would be expiated from the land. Escorted out. And yet he promises still. He continues still to be with them. And so for us today as gospel people, God is present with his people, not in this this building, just this space as great and good as it is, but when his people gather together as the great temple of God, the spirit is here and present amongst his people here. Jesus dying in the place of sinners and defeating death and offering new life. He also makes us a temple. I don't need to be ushered into God's presence. It's that God is now intimately aware of every space in my life because he indwells me. He makes his home in me. Even when I'm dumb and even when I'm foolish and even when I'm arrogant and even when I'm scared, He still keeps his word and makes his home here. God does not treat us the way that we treat other people. God reads our texts and responds well. But that's really, these, these are side themes. The ultimate aim of Joel is the day of the Lord. It's a central theme of it and it is fearful and it's appropriately so and it should be. For some of us, the non-religious or growing up in a church for their, their entire life, There is a reality for an individual one day that they'll stand before the creator of heaven and earth and they will give an account for everything that they have ever done and ever thought. And it's fearful because a response that they may give is similar to what Jesus warned that other people would give in Matthew 7. Jesus, I did these awesome things for you. They prophesied, like, I can't do that. They cast out demons. I've yet to do that. Any any exorcists in here? 
They've done really amazing spiritual things. They've done incredible things, better things than I have. And they mistake the entrance fee into God's kingdom. They think that they can pay it with duty. They think that they can earn their way. They think that they can do the same old ritualistic stuff. They think that a tithe check matters. They think that temple membership matters. They think that family association matters. And Jesus' response is terrifying. Be gone from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. The very best and good spiritual things that they did, Jesus calls vile. Do you feel that? Who on planet earth would ever call casting out demons a bad thing? Jesus did that in the New Testament. Jesus' followers do that in the New Testament. What's the problem here? The entrance fee, the entrance ticket into the new heavens and new earth and life with Jesus isn't duty, it's delight. The way to everlasting joy and peace and forgiveness isn't through working. It's through receiving from him. It's not about what you do. It is about who you know, or maybe better yet, it's about who knows you. And so the day of the Lord is terrifying. And rightly so, appropriately so. It's also a day of hope for his people though. And the day of the Lord is mentioned five times throughout the book of Joel. And there are plenty of other times throughout the scriptures. What does it look like to hear from Joel about the day of the Lord? Joel 2, 1 and 2, the day of the Lord will cause knees to tremble, not because of their excitement, but because of fear. Like their knees are pounding together because of what is to come. They can see it on the horizon. Or Joel 2, 30 through 32, it's also a day of rescue for God's people. This same phrase you hear multiple times throughout the Bible, certainly in the Old Testament, but Paul loves to preach this. All who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus or Yahweh will be saved. Salvation is at the moment an individual trusts Jesus. That's true. But it points to an eventual moment in time at the end when God finally, forever, lastly saves his people from a destructive world. Joel 3.14, it is, again, it's a day of judgment. So the day of the Lord, it's a day of ruin and rescue. Have you ever wondered why we love hearing stories and watching movies about good guys winning over bad guys? Does anyone really like watching bad guys win? It's kind of gross, right? I would feel weird about it afterward. Or if you're watching like one of those like postmodern films where like everything's morally ambiguous, 
there isn't a good guy, it's just clearly a bunch of bad guys like Reservoir Dogs, don't watch that movie. Early 20s Tim liked that stuff. You're, you're kind of left wanting, like, what's the redemptive value of this? Where's the good? Where's the true? Where's the beautiful? There's something hardwired in us to want that, to want good guys to win, to see bad guys lose, to see justice and love and virtue upheld. I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, but I don't watch a lot of Westerns. However, you might be able to help me with this. It's, it's commonplace. When you're watching a Western, how can you tell who the good cowboy is and the bad cowboy is when they're 13 paces away and they're about to have a shootout? That's right. The good guy wears the, and the bad guy wears the, mm. and when you read Revelation 19, it's this picture of the God-man, the Logos, the word made flesh and the veil between what is spiritual and physical is torn. And he rides upon a white horse, strong indication. This is the good guy we've been waiting for. And he wears a white robe, speaks to his confidence, also his moral purity. The day of the Lord puts an end to all bad things. And it's immediately polarizing. We live in a space now between creation and the end where there's not a lot of clarity right now. And so there's a lot of wiggle room in between seemingly at least There are a lot of spaces to hide around. But the day of the Lord, everything is laid bare and the light of the world comes and it brings security to the weak and broken. He brings healing to those that have been hurt and wounded. He brings justice to those that are on the opposite side of his kingdom. And so we're left with that question. It's what do we do with Joel? We have to take him seriously. Every word on every page of Joel's prophecy to Judah, we hear today. His opening salvo is just an introductory piece who I am and who this is directed towards. But even here we can see call to action. Namely one, verse one, the word of the Lord, it comes to Joel and he did as the word expected him. Joel supernaturally received a message from God to declare to these people. And we can presume, although however short this book actually is, he declares it in full force. He doesn't just focus on God's grace at the expense of God's justice as some might today. 
And he doesn't just lean upon the justice of God expecting to bring the hammer over and again, like maybe his predecessor or contemporary Jonah might. He brings the entirety of God's message to God's people. He brings them the bad news and the good news. And if you are a supernaturalist, and if you are a follower of Jesus, you have more in your hands now than Joel could have dreamed. Do you feel that? Pick up your Bible for me and thumb through its pages. Every word on every page coming from God's heart to his people. You have a recorded history of how God aimed to save the world and the kind of character that he has and what he aims to do with the world that went astray. You have more than Joel. So if there was an action point, it's to receive the word. In order for Joel to communicate the word that he had, he needed to know it. The God that loves you and has redeemed you with his son's own blood has more for you to know about him and about yourself and about the way the world works about the dire, desperate situation that the world is in. In this book, teaches you how to have life. And it points you to where life is found and who life is found in. It teaches you how to fight sin and how to confess sin and the reason why we do so. It teaches you about the precious spirit who promises to be with us forever. This, again, we can say God with us. It teaches us about Jesus's compassion and mercy. It teaches us about Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection. It teaches us about Jesus coming one day to judge the living and the dead. And this isn't deep theology. This is, as Hebrews would say, this is the milk this is the milk, this is the core tenets of what it means to be a believer. So we receive the word, but number two, Joel tells them to hear and consider whether or not they're aware of what time it is. And that's number two, we know what time it is. Theology is good. And having an eschatology is good. Friends, there are a lot of unknowns, so frankly, when we talk about the end times. There are a lot of strong opinions about when Jesus is gonna return, premillennialism, amillennialism, rapture, is there a rapture, when's it happening? Like, since the church has been the church, they've wrestled with these things. And what I found is a lot of faithful brothers and sisters have tried to figure this stuff out. 
and you can have an opinion and you should. But what we end up missing is the forest of the trees. In other words, instead of caring about the when of the end times, we look for the character of it. What does that look like? We live in a world where we have a very polarized political system and you should have an opinion about politics but no political system on the planet that exists today will exist in the kingdom. Not one. Even more than that, no political system on this planet will fully, fully satisfy every goal and ideal that you have. And if it does, it's an idol and it causes us to course correct. We live in a world where there's a lot of conflict right now since the 1940s in the Middle East, Palestine and Israel. You should have a strong opinion about that. You should have a strong opinion about whether or not um, someone that is a man who dresses as a woman enters a school or public library reading to children. You should have an opinion on that. What if I told you though, those aren't the biggest problems that we have? They're not. These problems don't show up out of nowhere. They've been cultivated and they come from a place that's hidden. Just like people can hide between creation and the end. And the problem isn't political or social or what we think gender-wise. The biggest problem that we have is our sin-sick heart. And it's not just out there. The problem is our sin-sick heart. Seventeen hundred, seventeenth 17th century dude named Francesco realized that when you leave like a piece of unrefrigerated meat hanging out, like for a couple of days, creepy crawly things start to like, um, like, you know, eat it. People thought that the meat grew these things. He found out that a sneaky little assassin came along, called a fly and dropped like eggs on it. And then magically, not spontaneous generation, friends, but it comes from a source. And so as big and as massive as the fruit is in our world of wickedness and sin and all this stuff, that's just the fruit of the biggest problem that we have. And so you need to know what time it is. Knowing the time and knowing that it's short, it means that you cling to Jesus. It means that you and I have the seeds of all kinds of wickedness in our hearts and we need to be bound closer to him. Knowing the time means that judgment comes for all of us. 
The lost certainly will, but friends, Christians, brothers, sisters, you will also give an account. You will give an account to Jesus, Romans 14. Look, it doesn't mean that we're separated from him. It doesn't mean that he doesn't forgive, but there are just some conversations I don't wanna have with him. He's going to ask you, why did you let sin roll over you so easily? Why did you not love your neighbor in this situation? Why did you not tell X person about me? He's great and glorious and gracious. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will never be put to shame. I do not want to put him to shame. Knowing the time means that we know that we will give an account. Lastly, we tell them what they've done. I'm out of time. With verse three, though, you tell your children and let your children tell their children and their children tell it to another, na- another generation. From the shared experience of the collective experience they can tell clearly that God keeps his promises and one of them is he deals with sin. And yet merciful. The day of the Lord means that one day God will judge sin. Israel and Judah both being sent into exile means that God has an answer for their sin. But friends, you don't have to wait If you're here today and you don't follow Jesus, you don't have to wait to the end to to know where your destination is. In Jesus Christ, sin has been dealt with totally and finally. That's the judgment for sin. I don't want you to walk away or go away from today thinking or wondering or questioning whether or not where are you gonna go, what's gonna happen. And I want you to be aware and wake up that this liminal space that we're in right now can very well kick up and catch up to us to the end. And so we take him seriously today. Will you do that? It's a new year. We don't know what tomorrow's gonna look like. We know that Jesus is already there. We don't know when the end is coming, but we know Jesus is already there. And so shall we. I want it to be a day of hope and redemption and healing and vindication for you. And I want it to be for your kids and your grandkids and your neighbors. Give them Jesus. Be aware of what time it is. Receive the word from from him as he has given it to you in the Bible. Let's pray.
Father, the, the end. The end, the life with you. The end of the story is you in your kingdom there, there are no more orphans. And there are no more loved ones um, that are taken from us. There's no lack. There's no need. That's a day that we want. We, 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 we need that day. The hurting and broken um, people in here today that are tired of saying goodbye to loved ones. They're tired of the struggle of life. Tired of the cruelty of people. So for them today, would you give them a big vision for what you aim to do in the not too far off future? They can claim a promise. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things pass away and all things become new. It's not just that they themselves are new, but you make all things new and you welcome them in to your new heavens and new earth. Jesus, your hope is for today. I pray that you would give strength to them today. pray that everyone in here knows you. I, I want to believe that. I pray for them that, that don't, and they know it. And they fought you. I pray that you would bring heavy conviction to their soul and expose their great need for you. pray that you would remind them of the good and the tough times in life and how you have used those moments to get their attention, to demonstrate that, that you are the author of life and you are the captain of their soul and you are their maker and that in you they can find real rest and real life Jesus, show them how to live in light of eternity. I'm gonna ask you to continue praying. Dave's gonna play for us. And I want to ask you to pray.
Pray for brothers and sisters that are in here. Pray for lost ones that might be in here. Pray for lost ones in your home. Pray for God to make Joel's message clear and rock solid in in our heart today. If you need prayer, I'll be up here. Drew will be here too. If you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus and trust Jesus, we'll be here for that too. Let's continue praying.